with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sitcher, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samarian woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and a cistern is deep. Where then can you bring this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw this water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. And the woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. Jesus answered her, You are right in saying, I do not have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand 
because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking with you. At that moment, his disciples returned and were amazed. He was talking with a woman. But still no one said, what are you looking for? Or, why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Christ? They went out of the town and came to him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and finish his work. Do you not say, In four months the harvest will be here? I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe for harvest. The reaper is already receiving payment and gathering crops for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For here the saying is verified that the one who sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, and you are sharing the fruits of their work. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me everything I have done. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Many, if not most of us here, have had a day that began like any other day. 
and we assumed would end in just the same way. And yet something happened. There was an encounter with someone that changed our lives permanently. We hadn't expected it. We weren't prepared for it. But there was a great joy in it. When we look back on it, we still have that joy. Not just the fleeting joy of the emotions, but the joy of the intellect and the joy of the will choosing. This woman is a symbol of us all. She represents the entire church. She comes on an ordinary day, expecting that the day will be just as all the others. She's an outcast. We find out why later on. The other women will come in the cool of the morning to draw water. She cannot. She will come in the heat of the day around noon. They rejected her, and she's rejected them. She will live this isolated life. She comes expecting to be alone, and there is a man there. She can tell from his appearance he's a Jew, that she's certain that she's safe. He wouldn't speak to a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. And then all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. He addresses her and asks for a drink or commands a drink. And she's shocked. And she says, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And our Lord now begins a conversation, but she doesn't understand. He's speaking on a different level. The well is a symbol of baptism, a symbol of Grace, the divine life that he wants to give her, the gift of himself. She can think only of natural water. He says, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. Now, she called him a Jew. Now she's gone to another level. Sir, you do not even have a bucket. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Our Lord then speaks to her again about the water he's come to give. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And so on, with the, whoever drinks the water I give shall never thirst. The woman now is going to humor him. He seems very strange, but she'll continue the conversation. She calls him sir again, again, man, Jew, sir. She keeps up with the conversation. Our Lord then finishes the conversation and changes the subject. Uh, notice how he brings her along, little by little. And now he confronts her with a different reality. Notice how often our Lord does that. Somebody will make a statement or ask him a question, and he changes the subject immediately to something else. He says, uh, go call your husband. Go call your husband and come back. Go call your husband. Now she's a little concerned. Uh, she knows what the problem is. And she says, I have no husband. Our Lord then confronts her finally with herself. Our Lord often does that too with people. He will suddenly change everything by focusing on the individual. You are right. You have had five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. 
Now she's a little afraid, too. She never encountered someone who knew her life, least of all a stranger. And she now says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. She's made another step. Man, Jew, sir, prophet. She's realizing something about him. What does she do? She does what you or I might do when we are faced with our sinfulness. She she changes the subject. She doesn't want to talk about that. She wants to move on to something else. She decides to talk about where we ought to worship. And so she says, "Um, you people say the place to worship is in Jerusalem, but our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. Our Lord, again, will not allow her to direct the conversation. Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So he speaks to her again about himself, and she doesn't quite understand, but she's now understood something else. I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. And our Lord tells her, I am he, the one speaking with you. So she's come a long ways. She's gone from this man, a Jew, to sir, to prophet, to Messiah. And now she's excited. And the disciples show up. And they're confused that our Lord is speaking with a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. Notice what she does. She now changes radically. We're told that she left her water jar. She's forgotten why she even came at this point. There's something far more important on her mind. She now will become the evangelizer. She's not only come to faith, but, but, she's, not, but she's necessarily come to love too. This is new for her, this new kind of love. So much so that she will now run back to the people who have rejected her and whom she had rejected before, and she will tell them what's happened and try to make them understand what she's experienced so that they can experience the same thing. That's really a a real transformation, an outcast going back to evangelize the people who had rejected her. Uh, She says, come and see a man who told me everything I have done. And so they come. They come and they listen to her. They actually listen to this woman. There's something radically different about her now, that they would actually listen to this woman uh, whose life had been less than what it ought to have been. And they come, and they ask him to stay, and then they come to faith because of this woman. But they come on their own now because they want to know him as she had come to know him on an ordinary day when nothing was supposed to happen. And they say, we no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Well, man, Jew, sir, prophet, Messiah, and now Savior. So they finished the beginning of their conversion. The beginning. They, like the apostles, don't yet know what Savior means. That Savior must mean Redeemer, and Redeemer means the cross. They have a long ways to go yet. Well, as I said, this woman symbolizes the church and each one of us in our own way. Last week I mentioned when we had the transfiguration that we had come here to go up to the mountain to witness our Lord, to be with him, to see him transfigured before us in his body and blood. Today we do the same thing. The Lord is waiting for us here. He waits for us wherever we are, anywhere. But he waits for us here in the fullness of his being, in his body and blood. 
He waits for us, and we come to him. But we left home knowing where we were going. I don't know whether we thought when we left that we were going to have the same sort of encounter she did. It may lack the drama that she experienced, but it's every bit the reality that we have come to see. So I said, he's always waiting for us wherever we are, but particularly he waits for us in the Eucharist, that greatest of all gifts, the gift of himself. Uh, We come to him as she came, with all of our sins, with all of those ugly parts of us that we would rather not discuss. Uh, But when we come, he is there waiting, knowing exactly who we are and what we need. I mentioned this before, I think several times. Remember that man in ours, and St. John Vianney, the curie of ours, would say to him, he would sit in church every day. He would say, what do you do when you're there? He would say, oh, I look at him and he looks at me, as the Lord does. And we enter into a conversion every time we come here. That's why we begin with the confitior. I confess to Almighty God, we confess what we are, as she eventually had to do, so that he can transform us into what we might become. What a great joy. And he is always waiting, if only we have a little time to give him. Having said that, I'd like to mention something else. For those of you who don't belong to this parish, my apologies. We begin today our building campaign, our capital campaign. Uh, If St. Joseph's is going to move forward as a parish, we need to actually make it possible for us to do the things we ought to do in buildings that would allow us to do them. Uh, What we're doing, you're aware of it. I've mentioned it once before. You've seen the, the, the designs We've listened to people, the parish council, the finance council. What we're hoping to do is the most basic of all things that a parish needs. We need classrooms. We need offices. We need a hall large enough for us to do things. We need those things. For for many years now, happily, we've had these rooms, especially the houses that Monsignor Williams bought. But we can't do that forever. We really have to expand. And as I said, we're doing the basics. I wish we could do a whole lot more. I wish we could take everybody's suggestion and build it. But we're just doing what we absolutely need. You remember last year, after almost 20 years, the city closed our preschool. Uh, so far, they haven't bothered with the rest of our classrooms. But we really need places where our children can learn in a, in a really um, in a good learning environment and to have the, the tools necessary to teach. Again, we've done an incredible job here at St. Joseph's, and now it's time to move forward. Uh, as I said, we need the classrooms, we need the offices, and we need the hall. It's a real adventure that we're going into, but St. Joseph's has to move. And um, as I said, our future depends upon our ability to actually keep up with where we're going. Now, it's really an adventure in a different sense, too. It's going to be rather expensive, although I think the amount is not beyond our means. It's actually going to cost us $3.6 million. Uh, we can take out some loan, but not very much. Now, that's a challenge, because it's going to require a great sacrifice on the part of all of us uh, to make that possible. If You'll be receiving, in, in your bulletin today, there are some um, 
flyers about what we're going to do. It's also a volunteer card, which you can sign up if you'd like to volunteer to be part of the capital campaign. Everyone's going to be contacted. There'll be four receptions, and everyone will be invited to one of those receptions. And if you aren't, rather than getting angry, call and say, why didn't you invite me to one of these? Because we'd really like to invite you. Um, and call and say, why haven't you invited me to ask for money? Uh, and, and I will say, my complete apologies, please come, and I'll be happy to ask you for money. Uh, as I've said before, there will never come a time in our lives when the church will not ask us to sacrifice. This won't happen. I had one person say to me, listen, I've already built two churches. And I said, fine, we're not building a church. You don't have to build a new church. We're building classrooms, offices, and a hall that we very much need. So please come and join us in this. Now, St. Joseph's, unlike some of the mega parishes in, in Raleigh, I don't think has anybody who can give us a million dollars. If one of you can, we will take it. But <laughs> I, I don't think anybody has it. Uh, or even a half a million, or a quarter of a million. But we can all sacrifice something. Uh, some people might be able to, say, sacrifice $500 a month, which in the end of five, over five years. And it's not just a lump sum, over five years. That's quite a bit of money, uh, $500 a month over five years. So it comes to about like $25,000, $20,000. Uh, $100 a month would come to about $6,000 over five years. Um, but each of us can do more or less, but we have to be honest with ourselves about what we can do because the church needs this. Now, there are a thousand reasons I know for not giving. Um, you didn't include this. Well, we couldn't. Again, we're doing just the very basic things that a parish needs. If we get more money, we will, we will do more. I'd like to have, if, if possible, a small adoration chapel. I think it would be a wonderful thing to have. We could have it. Uh, and, of course, we'd like to have a columbarium, too. All these things that we'd like to do. And hopefully we can do them. Uh, but it's going to take great sacrifice on the part of everybody here. And there's no exception to this, by the way. Uh, everyone has to be part of this, as I said, adventure. St. Joseph's will be 50 years a parish next year. Uh, and we will have a great celebration on that occasion. Uh, what a wonderful time to do this, to begin to expand for the future. Uh, we know the church is expanding in this diocese, in this part of the world, in eastern North Carolina, in the south. Do you know I was told the other day that there are 67 people a day moving into this area. 67 people a day. And the traffic would certainly suggest it, I think. Uh, 67 people a day, that's a, that's a boom town. And we're part of this. We're part of this great explosion of people. Uh, and St. Joseph's in particular, I think, is going to become a hub. We need these classrooms, for instance, for CCD. We need it also for our home schools. I like to make St. Joseph's a hub for homeschooling. And eventually, I would like to think we might even be able to have a school because the classrooms will be large enough to do that. Who knows? Uh, but we have to look to the future not by way of holding on to what we've got, but by expanding what we have. That's what we need as a parish. And I don't doubt for a minute that we can do it. The generosity is there. St. Joseph's, I think, is one of the most generous parishes in the entire Diocese of Raleigh, per capita, for giving. It's amazing, but, but, our, but we as a people give to this parish uh, every week, every month, every year. And now comes the big challenge. So, as I said, you can look in your bulletins. You'll be receiving in the mail some brochures 
and the, the receptions will take place after Easter. There'll be four of them. And everyone will be invited then uh, to give. So please consider now prayerfully what you are able to give now and over three years or over five years. We can always give more than we think we can, I, I think, sometimes. And so um, there's the challenge. And um, we come here today, as always, uh, to the one who will come to us on this altar and give us the courage to meet that challenge. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the blood of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the Church throughout the world, that her members will always respond to the grace that they have received, the grace of their baptism, the grace of the Eucharist. For the Church suffering and the Church in our own country, we pray to the Lord. For our nation and all nations of the world, that they will be open to receiving the gospel, we pray to the Lord. For all those who are sick and suffering, the lonely, the frustrated, and the confused, they may know that they proclaim Jesus Christ in their suffering. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have lost the faith, for their conversion, we pray to the Lord. Greater respect for human life, especially in the womb, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, those young men and women who will truly evangelize our world, for greater respect for the witness of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. For our administrator, our new bishop, whomever he may be, our priests, deacons, seminarians, and the American hierarchy, that after they too have been transformed by God's grace, that they may proclaim the kingdom of God, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. Amen. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. And for all of us here, that we may continue to grow in the grace of our baptism, that we may be visible signs of what we have received, visible signs of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ, that we will be truly redemptive people. We pray to the Lord. now join our prayers to those of the Mother of Sorrows as we sing. Mm-hmm.